Benedict XVI has published his apostolic letter called Porta Fidei, or Door of Faith in English. This document officially calls for the Year of the Faith. Greetings, this is Father Jeff Kirby. And this is Valerie Sue. And we are opening the Porta Fidei. The Door of Faith. The show that looks at the Catechism and the Catholic Church in light of the Year of Faith. And today our show is going to be covering number 65 to 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, Val, the other day I was walking, it was early in the morning, I went for a walk, and I was just in nature, and I was just surrounded by the beauty and the the natural truths that we have about God, and the good things that are happening in our church and society, and all the things that we know about God and ourselves and so on. I just had one of those moments where I was like, wow, this is great, but you know, all that experience is it's almost what number 65 of the Catechism of the mm-hmm. Catholic Church is speaking about in that all these truths that we have, and God has certainly spoken in multiple and various ways to different cultures and different times, but all of them are contained in what number 65 calls the unsurpassable word. And I thought, man, that is it. All of this truth, all this beauty, all this power, everything that we have is summarized in Jesus Christ. And I thought... Wow, this is great. It was a great morning walk. Man, you must have had a second cup of coffee the morning, <laughs> Father right. Double espresso, you know what I'm nice. No, but seriously, you know how each one of us has various things that really just excite us. And for me, one of those things is the ocean. I just love the water. I love wow. the ocean. I love being around it and in it, all of that. And it just gives me life, even in this way that I can't put into words, but it just yes. fills me with this real sense of life. And I just feel connected. You know, that life that I experience in the ocean, that life is just a glimpse of the life that is found in Christ. That wonderful feeling is just... Unsurpassable. Yes, unsurpassable. (laughs) And that's what number 65 is talking about in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I know our listeners have had these experiences in their lives. And it's just one of those aha moments where it's like, wow, this is really powerful. Like there is something... That is both beautiful and powerful, but also that is unified here Mm. when we encounter Jesus Christ. And number 65, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is speaking about that. And I'm reminded that when we begin to claim as Christians that Jesus Christ, that all truth points to him Mm -hmm. and that he is the fulfillment of every human hope. Mm. And that's the radical claim we make as Christian believers. And I was just reminded some years ago... uh, a young woman who was raised in a good Christian family, who was a disciple of the Lord, who went off to college, a very prestigious college, and went to the college and, of course, was presented with other worldviews and other cultures and religions, right. which is great. That's, yeah. we, we need that as part of being a good neighbor here in a pluralistic society. But, yep. but as she began more and more to encounter these, she said to me one day, you know, Father, I just don't think that Jesus is the only Lord. And and uh, Christianity, you know, it really can't be the end-all, be-all. Like, I really think that... Christianity is just one voice in a chorus, you know? And that is a very popular view, Valerie, among many people. Well, you know, Christianity is nice, but so is Buddhism, so is Hinduism, so is Islam, and so on. And, and we can just have them all together, and all of them are different pieces of the truth. But number 65, the Catechism reminds us, no, no, all these truths point to the one who is truth itself. And, of course, it's Jesus Christ. I'm going to play devil's advocate here, though. Is that a compelling answer for people? Because I know in my missionary work that I got to do in India, I saw that firsthand that there are people 
who were Hindus who would come to the Catholic Church, who would lay flowers at statues of Jesus as well as Mary. They accepted Jesus as a god, but as a god, as one god to throw into their bag of several hundred or even thousands of gods. Of course, you you speak of Hinduism, and definitely you're dealing with a pantheon of gods. Mm -hmm. And what is the uniqueness of Christ yeah. In the midst of that is the question, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's a good challenge because I think it's a, it's a challenge we get in our society. In fact, you know, just, a, just a little while ago, I was in a parking lot of one of our major department stores here in the United States, and, and I was in the parking lot as I was walking out. I saw this bumper sticker that said, mm -hmm. you can't keep God in just one religion. I thought, well, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, all right, here we go. You know, and, and, and I laugh at that because in light of number 65, 66, and 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and by our ancient belief as Christians is that we would never say that we keep God mm. in one religion. Yeah. You see, obviously someone with that type of bumper sticker is approaching it that, well, God is really pluralism, mm. you know, and all these different pieces. And, and who are we to limit God to one religion? Right. You know, we're so narrow-minded and, and so on. But the way we would see it biblically, and as God has always dealt with humanity, is that we are not the ones keeping God in one religion. But God has revealed himself. So God has revealed himself mm -hmm. yeah. through one covenant, through one religion. And the reason why he's done that in light of number 65 and 66 is because God does not want us to be confused about who he is. Mm -hmm. God has given us definitive revelation, which finds his fullness in Jesus Christ. And he's given that to us. So we know the way home. We know who we are. We know who he is. We are not confused. We're not orphans. Mm -hmm. We're not orphans. Mm -hmm. So I think that what we need to begin to realize is that this claim that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all revelation and of all human hope is not, again, some assertion of, of power or control or exclusivity, but rather saying all truth points to him because in him we know who we are and who the Father is. Yes, I think that was a great answer, Father Kirby. Ooh, I was worried about that. <laughs> All right, good. That was a big one. And if I can, I just have to throw in there. I love when you're talking about the story of the bumper sticker, it reminded me that phrase of don't put God in a box. And ever since I've become Catholic, I always think it's really funny because we literally put God <laughs> right. in a box in the tabernacle. But as you said, it's exactly that key difference that it's not us who put him in the box, but God himself who condescends and comes to us and allows himself to be confined in that way. Absolutely. Um, well, powerful. Powerful. I like that. It's like, nice. we put God in a box. Okay? He puts himself in a he box. He puts himself yes. in a box. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to paragraph 66, where it's reaffirming that because Christ is the full revelation, everything can be summed up in him. So we have no need for further revelation. And I think sometimes we can hear that and think, okay, so the Catholic Church or the Catholic religion is just some static set of beliefs. And if everything stopped with Christ, well, that was 2,000 years ago. And where is the dynamism? And how can we approach the modern world if nothing can be new or change? Or how would you respond to that? Yeah, exactly. And, and that line of, of thought is that, you know, Christianity is boring, you know, it has mm. nothing more to contribute. It, it has no place and no relevancy in my life or in the world because, well, if it all ended 2,000 years ago and Revelation concluded with the death of the last apostle, well, then that just must be it. You know? yeah. And what does that have to do with me here in the 21st century? So that's what you're trying to say? Yes. <laughs> Good summary. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and I think you know, the, the wisdom of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, as, as you were quoting Valerie number 66, is that you know, it tells us that 
yet even if revelation is already complete it has not been made completely explicit it remains for christian faith gradually to grasp its full significance over the course of the centuries now what does that mean is that well revelation concluded with the death of the last apostle but 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 let's all get this in our hearts here our understanding the application and the depth of that revelation we will continue to search and explore and plummet until the Lord returns in glory. So, for example, in 1854, we can declare, yes, the mother of God was conceived without original sin. Now, some people can say 1854, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or as well as 1950. Yes, 1950 with the dogma of the Assumption of Mary. A lot of people look at that and say, what? Like, you Catholics, you just, like, pulled out in 1950 this new dogma? Yeah, a little slow on the uptake, you know? Like, <laughs> come on, what's going on, you know? And for those of us who understand how God works with humanity, who, who can see biblical truth, who understand the wisdom that's being spoken about in number 66 of the Catechism, we're not concerned with that at all. It's like, well, of course, it took us a while. Yeah, maybe, okay, maybe we're a little slow on the uptake, you know, but, but the Holy Spirit continues to guide us and help us, especially those who have been appointed shepherds over God's people, to eventually come to the realization of these powerful truths, which help us to understand who God is. Now, Valerie, Number 66, number 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, all of this is about, and I, I made the comment earlier, and I just want to stress, this is not about dogma wars. No, it's about this God. Is, absolutely. It's like who he is. You know, in, in personal friendships, if, you know, if I had a friend and it's like, well, okay, well, you know, first the person has brown hair, no, then blonde hair. Okay, well, now they like pizza, now they don't like pizza. Or they don't even know what pizza is, or, or whatever details of that person might change. If they keep changing, mm -hmm. or they are whatever I want them to be, then I can never be in a relationship with that person. Hmm. And I'm always confused about who they are and who I am in relation to them. So the importance of this uh, teaching that we receive from the Catechism is God does not want us, his children, to be confused. Hmm. Jesus was the full revelation, but because Jesus, obviously being the Son of God, being the King of the universe, the truths found in him, they are infinite. And as you said, we could be sounding their depths until the end of time because God is infinite. It's going to take us a long time. We're never going to reach the end of understanding it all. So we're continuing to flesh it out, if Absolutely. you will. I, I think that's a great expression, how we just continue to encounter and this dynamism and this continual conversion that happens between ourselves and the revealed truths that, that God has given to us. Mm -hmm. Powerful, powerful things, you know. And I also say that when we encounter God, we have to understand, and St. Augustine, of course, always says it better than most of us, but he said God loved us so much that he did not simply make himself home, but he also made himself the way home. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of revelation. As we've said on the show before, revelation is that one lit candle in a dark space. And that's how we know. That's the way home. That's the way to light in the midst of this darkness. Powerful stuff. But show value number 67, we talk about sometimes in the life of the church, private revelation. Well, what is that all about? You know, perhaps some of our listeners have heard about Fatima or Lourdes or, you know, different parts, Knock in Ireland or Guadalupe in Mexico. And sometimes people are confused, like, wait a minute, Mary's appearing or Jesus appearing or the saint is appearing and, mm -hmm. and, and giving this, these, these private revelations. And the Catechism tells us very clearly in number 67 that these private revelations, it's nothing new, 
But these revelations, these private revelations, are doing exactly what we just talked about. They're taking a part of the public revelation, which we've already received, and it's accentuating it. It's a reminder, whether mm-hmm. through a saint or through Our Lady or through Christ himself, we are reminded as a people of an essential truth that maybe is being forgotten or, or neglected. And so we're being reminded by that as the people of God. And I know that many people have different revelations that they are fond of, private revelations. I know particularly among the Hispanic people, Our Lady Guadalupe is particularly dear and sensitive. And it's powerful stuff. I'm an Irish of Irish mm-hmm. descent. Love knock. And, of course, a big joke is Our Lady appeared knock. What did she say? Nothing. <laughs> she, she didn't say anything, Valerie. You know, it was the great reprimand of the Irish who love to talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's so awesome. Our Lady is always teaching us, you know. But but yourself, Valerie, any private revelations? Yes. And, and just real quick, if any of our listeners are just tuning in, we just want to let you know that this is the show Porta Fidei, where we're exploring the Catechism of the Catholic Church for the Year of Faith. And we're looking at paragraph 65 to 67. So speaking about private revelations, gosh, I think one private revelation that's kind of dear to my heart is the Divine Mercy. When Jesus appeared to Sister Faustina Kowalska, who was a Polish nun. Kwa, kwa, kwa. <laughs> okay. Koala nuns. I know. I'm sure I'm butchering the Polish pronunciation. But she's a Polish nun. Powerful. Living in the 1930s. So she had private revelations of Jesus, where Jesus came and appeared to her and instructed her to write down their conversations in her diary. And so that's how we know of this revelation. We can read her diary of the words Jesus spoke to her. And, of course, Jesus' great message to her was his mercy, his divine mercy. And he appeared to her in that image that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with or who have seen that image of Jesus. He's pulling aside his robe, and you can see his heart, and from his heart emanate two rays of light, one blue symbolizing the water of baptism, the other red symbolizing the blood, his blood for the Eucharist. And at the bottom, there's that inscription that says, Jesus, I trust in you, accentuating something that was always there. Jesus was always preaching mercy, but it was something that the world really needed at that time. He wanted Sister Faustina to spread this devotion and really preach his mercy to the world. Absolutely. And, and as, as I hear that story about her, I'm just reminded, uh, first of all, of the power of that mercy. And, and I think uh, Blessed John Paul II, mm. he purposely waited to canonize St. Faustina. He waited. She was the first saint of the 21st century. He called her the Apostle of Mercy and said, mm. as we leave this century of tears, this 20th century, we re-enter an era where we need to hear the message of divine mercy. So even within the life of the church, we see this private revelation finding its way in. Of course, many of our listeners might be aware of what's called Mercy Sunday, which is, of course, the second Sunday of Easter. So already even in the life of the church, this powerful message, which was, as you were saying, already always there, we're being reminded by this private revelation. You know, I mentioned Anak, but I also have a great fondness in regards to private revelations to Our Lady of Lourdes. And I think also uh, you have a, a devotion as well. I, I do. I do. Yes. I got to spend a week there, as I'm sure you've spent time there as well. Oh, yeah. Mainly in the baths. You know, so, but actually, I joke because I went to Lord's Healthy. I left sick. <laughs> yeah, I, left, I know I left with a cold. I don't know what that was all about. But but some of our, our listeners might not be aware that in Lord's, uh, Our Lady appeared to a peasant girl. Uh, St. Bernadette, and appeared to her and shared with her the revelation that she was the Immaculate Conception, 
this was just a few years after the Pope had declared this dogma in 1854. And, yes. and of course, St. Bernadette didn't know anything. She was a small peasant girl. She, she didn't even, even speak French. No. She spoke a local dialect called Patois. So <laughs> when Our Lady said, I am the Immaculate Conception in French, she didn't even understand what it was. She thought that was her proper name. <laughs> like, Hello, Mrs. Conception. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and this powerful message that we see, and of course, she would build this great shrine, and then there would be these baths, and of course, many people who are ill or sick yeah. go to Lourdes in order to receive this healing. And uh, I've done the baths. Have you done the baths? I in, have, in yeah. Okay. It was a really incredible experience. Yeah, the water's pretty cold, isn't it's it? It's freezing cold straight <laughs> from the spring, and yeah. And as soon as you come out of the bath, they stick the little plastic statue of Mary in your face, like, kiss the virgin, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And know. there's no there's no dry towel. Yeah, the water just kind of dries it was. I don't know if you had this experience, Father, but when you put your feet in the bath, it's freezing cold. You um, venerate a statue of Mary, and then you come out. But when I came out, despite being in that freezing cold water, I just had this great sense of warmth and heat mm. that just emanated from inside yes. of me. Yes. It was Holy really Spirit. amazing. Yes. Or a double espresso. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. One of the two. Yeah, exactly. It was like Holy Spirit. <laughs> we'll say the Holy Spirit. You know? And for some of our listeners who who might not know about Lourdes, it's one of the many private revelations in the life of the church. Number 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks about these private revelations, and they have such an important part in our daily life because we can forget important things. So yes. oftentimes in our lives, like important things get replaced by urgent things. So i got to take care of this, got to do this, and we've got the kids, got work, got bills. Have, and we can so oftentimes forget, and so private revelations, they're not new revelations, right. but they simply are accentuating something that we've already received in public revelation. Yeah. You know, that powerful verse in John's Gospel, which uh, many of us might be reading personally um, because it's it's just a, a powerful verse, whether during the Easter season or the summertime or whatever it might be, is, you know, where Jesus tells us very clearly, I will not leave you orphaned. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in our world kind of feel orphaned. Yeah. You know, like orphaned by financial stability, orphaned by healthy relationships, orphaned by whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And yet in the midst of all that, we hear from the mouth of Jesus the words, I will not leave you orphans. Powerful. Mm. And this revelation that we've talked about, number 65 to 67, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is important so that we can know who God is. Mm. And once we know who God is, we know who we are, and we know what a right relationship with him looks like. Amen. So, Father Kirby, we've been talking about all these wonderful private revelations that are true and authentic, but then yes. we also know that there are revelations or where, where people claim revelation, private revelations that are not actually of God. And paragraph 67 actually speaks to this. It says that the Christian faith cannot accept revelations that claim to surpass or correct the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment. And then it even says, as in the case in certain non-Christian religions and also in certain recent sects, which base themselves on such revelations. Absolutely. And and we have to speak about that because when we begin to speak of the supernatural or preternatural, and we speak about how Our Lady or an angel or a saint can come and, and give a private revelation, which, of course, is always in the service to public revelation. And as we speak about these powerful, wonderful things that can just fill us with so much hope and encouragement, we nevertheless, as you're saying, Valerie, have to address the fact that sometimes there are revelations which we really should approach with some uh, suspicion and, and and keep a critical eye, you know. Mm-hmm. So as you were quoting number 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we can never accept these. Anyone that says, 
this revelation is going to surpass that given to us by Christ or correct it. Yeah, that's what I heard me. So mm-hmm. and sometimes even within our own tradition, we see bad revelations where people claim revelation. They see Jesus' face in a pizza or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, <laughs> so we can see that within our own tradition. And, and of course, the, the pizza is more of a joke one. But also sometimes people have revelations where they might say that, you know, a certain group is going to go to hell or if we don't do a particular act of piety, then God's not going to be pleased with us or various things where it, it, it's so narrow that it seems to give an emphasis where an emphasis should not be. So that's just within our own tradition. But then we look beyond it, as the catechism tells us, to non-Christian religions and to contemporary uh, groups or sects of believers of these different creeds. And of course, some of them we see prominently here in the United States. I read this and I can't help but think of the Mormons of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I speak very respectfully in that I have, um, when I was in high school, I did have several good friends who are Mormons, wonderfully kind people, and I have great respect, especially for just their sense of mission. Oh, um, and family. And powerful, family. Powerful. Amazing. As we've said before in this show, there are seeds of truth everywhere. And so there are things that are true in the Mormon religion. However, we have to be very clear and honest about the fact that they claim revelation that does surpass um, the revelation that we received in Jesus Christ. Father Kirby, do you want to give just a real quick history? Sure. Basically, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes that there was a great apostasy after Jesus ascended to heaven, that he entrusted truth to the apostles. There was this great apostasy. And then Joseph Smith in the mid-1800s, the angel Moroni appeared to him, gave him golden plates, and basically the Third Testament. um, Now we refer to it in popular language as the Book of Mormon, this Third Testament of God's revelation. And the Mormons believe in an ongoing revelation, which is the opposite of everything we've said in our show today, which is basically God can change anything tomorrow. And so the leader of their church, the president of the LDS church, or internally he's referred to by Mormons as the prophet, he can change basically whatever is believed within that religion that God has told him to change. So for us, that would be very problematic. Of course, St. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians that if anyone comes and preaches a foreign gospel, contrary to what Paul or the other apostles taught, even if it's an angel, (laughs) It should not be accepted. It should be refused. You know, so for us, theologically, we'd have some problems yes. with that belief, and especially some of the teachings that flow from this revelation given uh, supposedly to uh, Joseph Smith by this angel Moroni. And incidentally, I say that theologically. In high school, my closest friends were Mormons. <laughs> yeah. They're some of the godliest people I've met. I mean, they're my friends because they were also the ones that weren't doing stupid things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... You know, so such a great respect for uh, members of that church. But uh, theologically, yeah, gosh, uh, number 67 of the Catechism is pretty clear. We also see this in Jehovah's Witnesses or Seventh-day Adventists uh, and other groups that are less recognized and less mainstream. But these supposed revelations uh, are very problematic, not because, well, they go against what we believe. No, like they go against what God has revealed in the scriptures, in the life of the Christian faith Mm -hmm. from the time of the life of Jesus Christ himself Mm -hmm. through the ages, this life of the Christian faith that we can see. And so anything that is an aberration or removal of that, uh, we approach with with suspicion because God just doesn't work like that. Yes. You know, like God has given us a clear way. It's a clear path. 
He does not want us to stumble in the dark. He doesn't want us to be confused. He wants to know us mm-hmm. to know who he is. Mm-hmm. Thinking back when we were talking about the private revelations that are approved by the church, that are good, like Lourdes. I remember reading a book about Lourdes and when Mary appeared to St. Bernadette, how when St. Bernadette told the priest about her revelation, they were very suspicious. And she went through a lot of suffering just because they really grilled her with questions, trying to make sure that this is, in fact, true, to make sure that nothing of this revelation was in contradiction to the gospel because— the church is so concerned with safeguarding yes. this revelation and protecting the truth. Once the church approves a private revelation, you better believe it's gone through a whole lot of scrutiny. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Valerie, we can say to our listeners that no member of the church and no Christian is bound to accept a private revelation. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. You know, that's very important. So someone could say, you know what, not really big on Lourdes or Fatima mm-hmm. or Guadalupe or Nock or Divine Mercy not a big fan. Now, certainly parts of these private revelations can shape our way of life. Like we mentioned the Divine Mercy. We have a Mercy Sunday now. We have the Divine Mercy Chaplet. They become a part of our way of life as Catholics. There's a part of the rosary that was added to because of Our Lady of Fatima. A prayer was added and so on. So sometimes these do become a part of our life, but no one is bound Mm. to believe them because these are all in service to the revealed truth, to the revelation given to us in Jesus Christ. So from there, as you're comparing and contrasting, which I think is great, if we look at the approved private revelations and the scrutiny they undergo, and the revelations, these private revelations that we see in, in other traditions or, or in ourselves that are less noble, then we can begin to see the difference, the compare contrast. Absolutely. And the point of it all is for us to understand who Jesus Christ is and who God is. Well, Father Kirby, with that, in paragraph 67, the catechism says that there is this sensus fidelium, Latin for sense of the faithful, that the faithful have this sense in which they're able to know and discern which revelations are true and which aren't. It's wonderful that we know that we have this sense, but how do we discern? Is that true or not? How do I proceed? I'm glad you introduced that term from uh, number 67 of the Catechism, that census fidelium. That is very important. You know, a lot of times they poll so many Catholics and so on, you know, know, should we change this or what are your opinions of that? All these things. As if the Catholic Church was a democracy. Exactly. And the problem with that is we're not a democracy. But then secondly is also very importantly is the ones who oftentimes are polled are probably not living the faith. So this sense of fidelium does would not extend to them. The mm-hmm. census fidelium are the people who are living the faith, have a life of prayer, attending mass, trying to live a virtuous life, trying to be a good Christian. And as they do that and they have that relationship with Christ, they begin to develop a sense mm-hmm. of the faithful themselves and then of course the entire faithful, what is right and what is wrong. But as relative as that can sound, and it's less relative than what we might think, but nevertheless in answer to your question specifically is this census fidelium is guided by the magisterium of the church. The bishops will let us know. The bishops as the successors, the apostles will discern and scrutinize. As you mentioned with little Bernadette, she was kind of put on the hot seat by her priest and by her bishop. Why? Because they had to make sure is this of God or not? And so in the same way, the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, the bishops and the Pope will evaluate and discern is this accurate or is this not? And then they will let us know. Our role 
with that sensus fidelium mm. is to hear the voice of our shepherds and to be open and docile. What are they teaching us? What are they explaining? When they ask us, don't go there, mm -hmm. then we shouldn't go there. Mm -hmm. When they say, yes, go there, this is a place that's authentic, this is a place that faith can be encouraged, then if we're able, we can go there. So I think it's very important. I will say just on this point, and, and, and not to come across too strongly at all, but just to say that no member of the faithful, the census fidelium, right. and no congregation or Catholic association should ever go to a supposed apparition or private revelation when the local bishop has asked us not to. That is very important. The voice of the bishop is, in this case, mm -hmm. the voice that discerns God's will and is helping us to know where we should be and not be. Mm. That's something that I've always loved about the Catholic Church is that you have to be humble to be Catholic because you have to listen to the magisterium, as you said, the teaching authority, the bishops and the pope. So we have to be humble in order to listen to them, but then also what relief there is and assurance and knowing that we have them guiding us, looking out for us as our pastors, as these spiritual fathers, these shepherds guiding us and that yes. we can place our trust in them because we trust in God. We believe that God promised, that Christ promised to guide his church by his spirit. And so we're not placing our trust in men, but we're placing our church trust in God working through them. Uh, absolutely. As Americans, as Westerners, like we can, we can struggle with that pride. And when we humble ourselves, we realize the beauty and the peace that comes with having offices instituted by Christ to help shepherd us to salvation. Yeah. And what a great blessing it is. I'll tell you, number 65 to number 67 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Any of our listeners, if you haven't read them, please check them out. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you tune in for our next episode of Porta Fidei. May God bless and keep you. And have a peaceful day. This is Father Jeff Kirby. You can reach me at charlestonvocations.com as well as on Facebook, also Charleston Vocations. Hope you visit our website or visit us on Facebook. Thanks. And this is Valerie Soup. You can reach me at the website catholicyoungadultsofsc.com. That's catholicyoungadultsofsc for South Carolina.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter.